everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee or wine and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. You have today John Schmidt and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 39, Podcasting in the Time of Cholera. We are on lockdown right now. (laughs) We are one step off martial law. We're all in our homes. People are viewing invitations to come over with a very squinty-eyed suspicion, which means naturally I invited John to come over to record. But you also fed me, which is one of the necessary evils in life. Eating. uh, We have already had both flus and social contacts. But moving on from that, (laughs) it is fascinating to me this sudden change, this you obviously you've referred to a book, Love in the Time of Cholera. I did. And uh, for me, it really highlights a lot of things. One of which is we cannot afford the luxury of despair. Um, I quote I mangled from one of my favorite authors, Ursula Vernon. But now more than ever, you must observe your world and write and be creative. And it's hard. It's hard. So let's talk about observing the world and being creative. Well, let's. Absolutely. What have you got? Gabriel Garcia Marquez, for instance, wrote, you're in love with somebody, and then he had a perfect natural setting of people dropping dead everywhere. We are not having anybody. Our dropping dead is still much, much lower than influenza. But the possibility of it has fed something Horrible, and yet beautiful, and yet horrible for a writer. For instance, this presents an opportunity to say, you can have a bad guy, the antagonist, be completely good guys. They are the authorities, the man shutting you down and telling you to, to what to do, what not to do. You can have Oh, good God, with the joy that everybody has of zombie movies on TV, they have, oh, oh my God. beautiful post-apocalyptic nihilism. Now, I I want to state right here, I do not think the world needs nihilism. I don't think in these times we need the nihilistic, everything has gone terrible. Let's look at what's happened before instead of times of cholera and war and... Influenza. The, one of the, influenza. One of the... The weirdest things is the beautiful poetry, the red poppies in Flanders Field that came out of the horrible slaughters of World War yeah. One. And um, we were just discussing the, the basically the whole Lord of the Rings saga that, that Tolkien did was uh, all based on the orcs. The orcs was the German war machine. You have one interpretation, but certainly know. he was scarred by his time in World War One. There are many articles on this, and he lost a son in World War Two, And he turned to writing about a happier time and created an epic. A man who studied epics created an epic. A man who studied sagas created a saga. And in it, the strongest hero, Samwise, the one who does not give up hope. Now, who, who is the bad man there? Well, Saruman, an old man who can't let go of power, basically. Yeah. But what is the, the most worst contagion there was the, the unquiet dead. Yeah. But uh, more than that, you can trace so much French cafe music. Uh, if you look at the rise and writings of nihilism, 
not neither, existentialism, sorry. Sartre, Jean-Paul Sartre. Jean-Paul Sartre, which you say better than I, who eventually became a Catholic because he just couldn't hold it. That arose out of the horrors of World War I as well. Yeah. Um, and we, we are privileged not to be in that time. There are not tanks in our streets. There are not dead bodies at the curb. Um, we are not seeing youth crippled and paralyzed. We, but the, the edge is off of our utopia. And what does it mean? You pointed out earlier in a conversation that especially for a writer, now is the time to observe because people are stressed differently. And could you expand on that a little? Well, it's, I was contemplating this as I was sitting here thinking, here I have all of the time in the world. You know, I go out, the ride, the bike, we walk around with Joe. I am so over gardening. <laughs> it's, but I need to sit down and write. So I went to sit down and write something new and... I was too filled with stress. So instead, what I started doing was saying, how do I take some of these observational psychology analysis of just the people around me and how we react to stress? For instance, our entire nation has gone a little differently according to stress, according to each person's individual brain weasels. Now, please understand, I view brain weasels had a lot of psych there's the neurotic brain weasels and the psychotic brain weasels, and there's two completely different camps. So I'm going to refer to mostly the neurotic brain weasels here. At the Can beginning. we call them the brain ferrets, perhaps? Sure, the brain ferrets versus the weasels. Okay. Brain ferrets are things like, you know, checking the door three times to make sure that you locked it, Check, going back, getting in the car to go somewhere, and then coming back and checking the stove because you're just not sure if you turned it off or not. Well, that, that's one kind, but... These um, are... these. I'm just... Yeah. I'm on a roll here. Let me, let me get the whole thing out. Go, so, go, go. the brain ferrets, in this instance, are the ones that, oh dear, I must do something. What do we do? Well, you, we are fighting an enemy in this case that nobody can touch. You can't see it. You can't touch it. You can maybe see it with an electron microscope, but it is the utter perfect faceless. And it's not even evil because it doesn't care if you are a good person or a bad person. I mean, come on, Tom Hanks, Justin Trudeau's wife. Idris Elba, you know, sigh. sigh. So it has created an interesting, how do you fight something? And the big things that people are doing in the streets, they're running for toilet paper. They're running for, for bottled water. Now, this is funny because this disease that we have is not Diuretic. dropsy. Yeah. <laughs> These so, are not things you need. Nobody's so going why? to shit themselves and die in the jungle here. Well, it's not, hopefully not. Yeah. But, uh, so why do you think that is? Why toilet paper? Why there was, bottled water? There was an interesting psychologist who wrote on the topic of how large grand gestures can make you feel good. So if you're pushing through a whole shopping cart full of love for your family... Uh, toilet paper and paper towels come in big, big rolls and big cases of water, and they're cheap. So you can have a psychological advantage of feeling like you have made a grand gesture, something large, in the face of something that's, you know, ungraspable and unutterably small. Plus, you can't make a mistake. If you don't use the toilet paper now, it doesn't go bad. You can use it later. Now, there was another place that said, oh, our bad. They were estimating how much toilet paper a single person uses in a year. And they came back and said, oh, we're so sorry. 
we overestimated really a person doesn't use more than like one a week. So if we're on lockdown for four weeks, I only need four rolls of toilet paper. Less if you have a bidet. Less if you have a bidet. I love my bidet. Isn't it so civilized? But, but going back but to that the doesn't psychology. change the fact that the psychology of it is is I need the comfort. I need to surround myself with with all of these things. I have taken care of my family. I have I have provided. It is also well. There's lines out the lines up for the gun counter with ammunition, because somehow somebody's coming for my toilet paper. I saw that on Twitter, but... Um, oh, tragically, it's real. I have a friend who... Well, this is more Colorado. Sorry, Colorado. But... It's California. It's out, just on the other Out side the door in Walmart. Walmart. They're, you know, yeah. around the corner. And it's, you know, because, again, that is the manly thing. Whereas, you want to say, guys, go go do some laundry. You know that there's laundry no virus, the virus that can survive yeah. and, you know... Hot soapy water for half an hour. Or my favorite is, well, I can't use... I saw all these zest soap sitting there in the dollar store. Nobody touched it. Like, well, we need the the, the anti, you know, bio... Antibacterial soap? Antibacterial soap. For like, a virus? But it's not a bacteria. It's a virus. Antibacterial soup doesn't do any more than normal soap. So, but going back to the psychology of the individual, I'm going to throw something else out that I want... Most writers I know are introverts, hmm. and so they actually have a structure for dealing with the stress. The extroverts are going a little buggy because they're seeing all the social things cancel. Uh, you, I read, actually I'm not going to psychoanalyze the psychoanalyzer. Where do you fall and what do you think, extrovert or introvert? And how? Uh, I'll shock the world here and say I've always been an introvert because I get my energy back for my alone time. What I am is socially apt. <laughs> socially apt. And let me tell you how often the social anxiety is mistaken for introversion. Because... Social anxiety is mistaken for introversion. Yep. Mm. In a really big way. So that's a different when you're mistaking your weasels for your ferrets. I am definitely an extrovert. Being around people is a thing. Watching everything cancel freaked me out. But I came up with a solution, which we'll talk about later. Let's talk about some of the other psychological things that have been revealed. One of the things that I have seen is some people, well, it's not peeling an onion, but some people emphasize different characteristics of their personality. You've talked about how people are comfort buying. Mm -hmm. I am working retail in a, in a store that's still open, and I am seeing... About nine-tenths of the people have become nicer and kinder because they understand that everyone is strained. And about one-tenth have become very much less nice and very much less kind. Or is that just because now it stands out more in contrast? An interesting question. Yeah. An interesting question. I have... We, while we were riding down the street, a woman came out of the house that I always have always... Every time I drive by it, I love that house. Mm -hmm. And I stopped. I'm like, excuse me, I have to stop for a minute, Joe. And, like, and I hailed her. She had the most amazing Scottish accent. It was fabulous. And I told her how much I loved her house and everything about it, the colors, how it was done up. And she said, oh, her husband would be so glad to hear. He'd fallen down the steps, broke his leg. He was in a wheelchair right now. And oh we offered to pick her something up from the store, but she didn't need anything particularly. And, you know, pleasantries expressed, we rode on, but... It didn't stop her. We didn't. We weren't crowding each other. But all of the people that are willing to go out are—I call it the brave and the cheerful. Of it's well, like, I've 
I read carefully and I say, we're not going to sit within a certain distance of each other. We're not going to cough on each other. We're not going to touch each other. Practicing the social distancing does not mean never coming out of your room again. And we're going to have to start digging our beloved friends that have the deep neuroses out of there and saying, okay, we have, you've now been incubated for this amount of time. If it was going to, if you have it, it was going to show. If we have it, it's going to show. Two weeks worth of, if you have it, it's going to show. And then there's avoiding, you know, naturally everybody's going to jump on that and say, but you can touch anything outside and wave your hands around. Just wash your hands. But to bring that back around to how you're plotting in a novel, in a book, it's an interesting thing to use a contagion. My favorite combination of contagion plus zombies is Sean and McGuire writing as Mira Grant, her feed series. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen it. I have not. Tell me more about it. Uh, Shannon, I love you. I love your theory of this. It was that someone took an avian flu bird and was petri dishing it along with, they were trying to cure the common cold. And I'm going to misquote her, sorry. And how they created basically this strain of a virus and then it spread with the birds literally because it escaped mm-hmm. out of their their uh, laboratory uh, conditions. And nobody ever got cold or influenza ever again. But what everybody has is the virus, the the zombie virus. And so you're continually testing to find out whether you've gotten past the normal into the, you're going to become a zombie now. I really can't read that right now. It infects every mammal. So no more pets. Right. How How green this land is a beautiful version because zombie kangaroos, I can say no more. But... Zombie moose is the scariest thing to me. Oh, oh zombie. I'm sure. I don't know if she's gone. I haven't read all of them yet, but but it feed. was an interesting plate feed. Really good stuff. And okay. the funny thing about it is it's not a zombie book. It's a political book. Are, are zombie books <laughs> anything but political books? My favorite zombie books, and I realize this is, is John Ringo's uh, Strands of Sorrow series, which is John Ringo writes great fan service. This is fan service to the United States Marines. And in that case, the zombie plague is distributed by urinal pucks. I know that's a spoiler. <laughs> in all the major airports <laughs> worldwide. And the population goes from 8 billion to pretty much everywhere is wiped out, mm. according to him. It's, it's a classic zombie survivor trope. Although my favorite one overall is the Ogloff, which is a R-rated comic. So and sometimes are, X-rated, so don't open it at work. I'm going to put the link on it. Not safe for work! Exclamation point. But it is a recent one. Yes. Whether you're thinking of a good play, going back to observing people, I um, I have found it interesting because I I due to my stress, I'm not writing my normal projects. So as an exercise. I am trying to use observations from the world around me. And one is, I read a bunch of Facebook postings, even though I am actually abstaining from Facebook right now for a different reason, and then synthesized that. Boy, Facebook is scary compared to the real world. <laughs> but uh, you can do dis- uh, dispatches from the war sort of thing there. You can. You can. I want to go back to the psychology. Have you got anything uh, else? Yeah, there was... You're good at this. I I was contemplating and saying, okay, how people that are wanting to protect themselves versus 
um, consider to a certain extent the kids. And I was unable to do anything but draw a parallel to the Diary of Anne Frank. Diary of Anne Frank. Which, yeah. if you remember, was that was as locked down as it gets. We're going to be hidden away in mm-hmm. the attic. We have to be quiet during the daylight hours. We can't let anybody know that you're here, so you can only only come out at this time under these conditions. You can't come out at all. You have to. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because in the same way that she could still believe, you know, people are good at heart, kids are going to keep playing and mm-hmm. kids need to keep playing. And it is interesting to watch the juxtaposition of a paranoid adult who's frightened at everything versus a kid that fears nothing. And almost rightfully so in this one plague, because this that's, is... <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, this is... This is Logan's run of diseases here. This is for the immunocompromised or people who have other... COPD and respiratory illnesses. COPD, respiratory very much more elderly. That is, that is a thing. Yeah. The so Logan's run of diseases. That is... <laughs> wow. Good one. Thanks. Thanks. So, you know, consider sending your children into the... Now, here's the thing. You have to practice hand washing at home so that they do it right and, you know, practice runs and then say, okay... You're going to go into the store and do all the things. So you're almost setting up. Imagine a, a future of the children are the real service people, and they do deliveries on their mm-hmm. on their trikes riding around, and because the kids don't catch it or don't suffer badly that's, from that's it. That's a um, wonderful utopian view. Uh, one of the things that I have observed, and you've just brought to light, is of course, I again, I work big box retail, and there are families coming in. Just so the kids have, and it was raining today, which is a factor here. And they came into the store just so the kids had a place to go look at different things and walk around. Yep. uh, This particular big box store, I'm I'm not going to name it because, uh, but there are no chairs. Don't go take all your kids to Costco, people. Come on. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, but there aren't any chairs. You shouldn't have said that. Um, no, no, I was actually saying that that was one of those, like, so all of you that are being afraid by what you read on social media aren't reading the things like keep six feet apart because these are people queuing in line yeah. that are crowding yeah. to go for the, I'm just going to call it the toilet paper comfort. So they're crowding to get the toilet paper, which is unnecessary, unneeded, and the wrong behavior type. And so. we have signs at the front <laughs> registers, which you can read what we're out of and what we're rationing, although we are not Costco. On the other hand, there's I went to a store, and again, this was one of those psychology things. The cases of water were on sale, three for, a, three for an amount. Mm-hmm. The sign by the register saying there was a limit of two. Mm. What do you do about that third case? <laughs> and it was just one of those... Little things is like, well, we have the advertising, we're trying to move it, but, and, and that was the somewhere practical person needs to stop, take a deep breath and say, let's not be silly. Let's look at this carefully. <laughs> yes, I think we need to, you know, ration it. We're not talking coupons. I'm horrified if we ever get coupons for toilet paper. That is a very, very evil sign. Because then you start playing the game that were played in Russia and Germany of who gets the coupons. Yeah. Then you oh, start you're talking playing, about rationing coupons, not yes, sales coupons. rationing coupons. Oh my god! So that's you know somebody's going to say it's a great idea. Then everybody has hand sanitizer. No, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, but I would I would sell them on the black market, and you know you can make your own bidet out of a 
Yeah, no, yeah, it's not gonna... yeah. No, no. But, but again, this creates fascinating, interesting character observations, interesting doesn't character it? Observations. So somewhere there will always be a profiteer. So I'm going to start throwing in your archetypes here. You have your fearless child. The the danger is faceless and distant. You have the fearless child. You have the overwrought adult. You have the overwrought adult. You have who's, the who's the, buying to buying the bulky things because that's how they protect. Consider all of the mothers of fairy tales that did not let their children, you know, mm-hmm. out or out of the garden. So the children wanted to go out versus the ones that took their kids out in the wood and left them there, you know, in the Hansa and Gretel sort of way. Mm, yeah. Different different tropes for the same different sort tropes, of ideas. Stories. Then you have the the paranoid of any room that you're in, the windows must be locked. Like you understand you have to have that a no gun within five feet because you have to be able to get to it and arm it in two steps. Yeah. Or I, you and I disagree on this uh, situational awareness versus paranoia. Have a plan to kill everyone in the room. You don't have a plan; it develops naturally. Oh, see, I always have a plan to kill everyone, John. Yes, but yours involves cinnamon. Mine involves the fork. It depends on all how spice, it is. All, all spices, that is. It depends on how quickly I need to kill you. Oh. It takes us in an entirely different place. That's why you cook so well, isn't it? I do. Um. I'll never know. No, you lose too much vanilla in the zabayone. <laughs> I taste it distinctly. <laughs> Another type I have seen, um, I don't have a good name for it, uh, uh, is the, the people who refuse... To live a worse life, life they live their best life. The tiara crowd is perhaps the best thing. I like the tiara. Well, I just like that because all the girls I know that are awesome have tiaras. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna spin this a different way and say, hmm, let's just call it the aristocrats of the, you know, my four hundred one looks good. I have insurance, therefore nothing must change. Clearly this government works for me. Oh, no, that's a different take entirely. That's one of them. That's one of them. Um, yes, and and there is behind that a huge fear of I am going to lose face. Mm-hmm. Even more, I will lose position even more than I will lose my life, which is fascinating. Yeah. I, and if, uh, wow, the mask of the Red Death, the... Uh, if we ignore it, it cannot touch us. Yes. Oh, huge. And was, all of these things you can you can see. You can see through the internet. You can go out and see. Also, if you haven't read some of these things, you totally should read them so you understand the tropes of how mass illnesses, pandemics, and wars have been used before. Because it's it's marvelous. It creates, you know, different levels of bad guys. You have the the sanitize, price sanitizer gouger guy that's you know now an internet sensation of oh, several of them but yeah you know seventeen I was just hustling the, I'm just hustling just trying to make a buck well you're doing it in a way that all did not strictly speaking have a law against it for you as an individual however we're going to interpret this in a way that makes you sorry you did such a heinous non humanitarian thing right so I call that the uh, the face man version. He's like, hey, want to buy a watch? You got it. I got, you know, I'm going to go around. I pulled these watches off all the dead guys on the battlefield. You want to buy a watch? Mm. How about a gold tooth? I've got a lot of gold teeth. Boots. Boots. Boots, boots and cats and boots and cats and boots No, and I'm cats. thinking uh, we're back to Pratchett. You knew Pratchett. Um, not colon. Nobby. Nobby. Early Nobby. But moving on from that. So let's, I'd like to. There's a lot to, to digest there. I'd like to talk a, a little bit about 
the disruption caused to your writing and how to get back to writing? It does cause, well, all stress does. It is super hard to write when you're a stress monster. And yet for some people, they explode with creativity when they're a stress monster. Mm -hmm. Do they write what's around them? It does, everything is going to influence you, of course. Of course. But how are you going to use it? Are you using it in a projection back way? Are you using it for the current? Or do you merely say, I now have my archetypes. I have my... nobility and denial. I have my paranoid shopkeeper that won't open his shop. I have the children eager to run out in the streets. I have the nervous mother of a young heroine who just wants to have an adventure and is being forbidden and told to attend your Whedon. Once again, Ursula Vernon. I do have to say, as much as we have harked back to the past and other similar things, The world is different every time. And one of the things I must encourage, especially in voices that were not heard much in the past, is whether or not you are published, you must use your voice. And I'm speaking specifically to several people I know, one of whom is a very young writer, uh, and they are seeking their identity. And we have reached a point in history... Is this Andrew? Uh... No, actually. This is someone else. Okay. I'm not going to name them because I haven't discussed it with them, but we'll come back to Andrew in a moment. Um, It is important that your voice is added to the body of work, the literature, so that we do not lose it. And I'm speaking specifically to my non-binary friends, of which I have a few, and to my gay friends, and to everyone Actually, I'm still speaking to my female friends because, unfortunately, the weight of history, as someone, uh, an artist doing portraits once said, that the the portraiture is a study of old dead white men. Mm -hmm. And she immediately sat down. She just had an exhibit at Stanford. I'll look it up for you. And started painting alive black people to balance that. But the voice you have, you must use, and it is a... It's a thing, it's a responsibility. It is. To make it easier. And if you don't know what your voice is, write anyway, or create art anyway. So I'd like to talk a little bit about how I overcome some of the stress. And I want to talk about Andrew. Andrew's great. Uh, We have been having writing dates. The writing date works really well. If anyone wants to set up a writing date with me, I will. And we will sit on opposite sides of the computer. If I may throw something right in the middle of that. Do it. There are things like Zoom and Skype and other opportunities you have to not be alone, to say, all right, I can have a Netflix and chill with my friends farther away, you know, with a slightly variety method of chilling, but all right, there we are, we're both watching the same movie, we can laugh at it together, we can be together. I'm specifically inviting people to drop me a note. Yeah. Uh, my email is readily available, and Jeannie may also be available, I'm not sure. And I use what has been described as the Pomodoro method, which is very simply, I set a timer, we agree on what we're going to work on, we work through it for the length of the timer, then we spend a little bit of time, it's an indeterminate time, but usually only a couple minutes, discussing what we accomplished or didn't accomplish, do a bio break if necessary, and then reset the timer and go on. So in a recent writing session with, again, Andrew, thank you, Andrew, 
we started with what he needed to do was work on his plot. And what I needed to do was write a scene. So he spent 20 minutes doing that. And then he said, well, I have a problem with dialogue. So we spent 10 minutes working back and forth on the dialogue with suggestions and things. Then we went back and did 30 minutes of, okay, just dump words on the page now, no editing. Took a break, got another cup of coffee, came back and said, okay, edit through now. And ended up with 10 minutes of noting references. And this allows me to be a lot less stressed because in that time, I only do the thing I say I'm going to do. And it's going to end, so I don't worry about it. And my ADHD is satisfied because I can hyper-focus, because I can tell myself, we'll handle the other things when we're done with this. And that works really well. Pomodoro method is beautiful for anybody that hasn't looked into it. Go online and look at the Pomodoro because Pomodoro, as you know, is Italian for tomato. It's for the tomato timer that people often find in the kitchen. Yes. GTD in general, we've mentioned before, getting things things done. done. So short time periods are an excellent way to get through it. I, for instance, have decided that I'm going to get through 50 pages of editing a day. If I can't write anything new, I have to do 50 pages of edits. How has that worked? I've got 50 pages and edits done. Excellent. (laughs) Yes. So in a similar way, yeah, it's, you don't always need to fill a space with talk and conversation. Sometimes if you imagine, can it be enough to just set up FaceTime, plug in your phone so that it won't be there and have somebody there with you Mm -hmm. so that you're not alone and shut in. And so the black dog is not going to defeat you and wrap itself around your leg and get off your shoulders. That black dog. Human beings, we are very social creatures, even the most introverted of us, even the most socially anxious of us, still need that that outreach. And because if we are if we are at war with ourselves and if we are at war with every moment of our society here, it is important to say I can strike a blow for that by doing something creative. Mm-hmm. by laughing so hard that my tummy hurts, by reaching out to a fellow human being and saying, you are not alone, and I am not alone, and let's do something creative. Start a new project. Finish a project. Hey, that thing's sitting in your garage that you've been eyeing. Can we decide if we're going to work it or throw it out? Let's decide today in the next 30 minutes on the timer. It's worth it. Well, it's also worth it to have someone else come in and say, that's reasonable, or maybe that's too much, or even say, well, how much do you really want it? I will help you if you really want it. Yeah. I've found that to be really useful. And uh, shout out here to Joe, who uh, (laughs) goes through weeds faster than anyone I've ever known. And we cleared uh, 24 feet of fence line in three sessions of raspberries, which, oh my God. I mean, really, oh my God, it was wonderful. So, yeah, this take this opportunity, and I want to say write something. If you can't write something, I want you to take one of your characters and write a psychological profile of them. You would. And see what comes out of it. I'm, I'm going to up the challenge and say write a psychological profile of them in two ways. One is a hero and one is a villain. Oh, yes, because heroes can do very villainous things in the name of what they think is good. That's right. Villains can save the world. There's, there have been some wonderful books written both ways that both show. Ways. Course, yeah. yeah, movies too. Yeah. Well, thank you. I feel much better for our discussion. And I hope you out in listener land have gotten something 
The offer is real. Drop me a line. We will set up a writing session together. This has been Podcasting in the Time of Cholera, a.k.a. Writers Drinking Coffee. Uh, you can find us online at www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com or Facebook or Twitter. Please email. We love email. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear a lot from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor... Our podcast sponsor is once again Jackal Designs. Yay! Yay. Enabling you all to buy cool WDC swag. Um, we understand there might be a new one coming up saying, Red Hope Coffee, so. is, Red the coffee, coffee. coffee. is the best coffee. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.